Uh, I'm super excited about today um, because today we get to jump into um, we, we get to jump into plot today, which to me is exciting. If you guys don't have the notes when you walked in, make sure you grab that and a pen will probably be very helpful too. We'll be breaking up into groups to work out all of the details of Jonah. Um, I was prefacing this to someone and they said, you're going you're gonna to plot the entire Bible in an hour. No, we're going to plot Jonah in an hour and it's very short. Um, on my Bible, it's this, like that's the entire book of Jonah. So it's fairly short. Uh, if I'm ever teaching, we'll choose short books just because you can accomplish more. Uh, like actually finishing the book um, in, a, in a shorter amount of time. So, so far what we've been talking about is why study how to read the Bible, why hermeneutics, uh, where is meaning found, author, text, or reader, um, and then certain questions to ask when reading. We went through that last week about who the author is, who they're writing to, when they're writing, why they're writing, and that just gives us a, a historical context to put us in because if, if the meaning really is found in what the author's intent was, then we need to find out about that author who he was, what was going on, when he was writing. Um, And a lot of that really gets into these books, as in hopefully any good book or good movie, is being made for a certain reason. There's a motive behind why it's being written. And when we ask some of those questions to find out about the author and get the context of when it's being written, it will give us a little bit of a clue of why it's being written. So um, bad works of literature, as in bad movies, I will assert, um, are bad because their motives are weak. And their purpose is flimsy. It it doesn't hold up. It doesn't stand the test of time. But then you get good books um, that have good purpose and good motive for writing them, whether it's the sheer sake of creativity and exploring truths um, or things. I just, I'm going to pick this out, and I think I mentioned this last week, like Chronicles of Narnia. It, It was written as a story to present truth, but it wasn't written to convey our own truth. It was C.S. Lewis doing it as in a not, how does our salvation message that we know on earth in our context play out in an alternate universe. It's what if the same message played out in in an alternate realm, which would be Narnia. How would that look? How would the details play out? And so it's just really cool. He has this motive of saying, how do we look at salvation and how could it? And his motive behind it will let us understand a lot of what he's writing. Um, His time and context of World War II and England will give us a lot of who are the Pevensies and why is, you know, why are they going to their uncle? And they just give us understanding. So when we look at Jonah, um, we were looking at, it could be Jonah, it could be someone else. It's a secondary, it's a second person sort of written book. It's not Jonah saying, I did this. It's somebody looking at Jonah saying, Jonah did this. So it's a secondhand perspective. Um, after the exile being called to the Ninevites, which were the enemies who took them into exile to tell them the message that their wickedness had come up before them. So, um, Within all of this, this is kind of what, what we're leading up to, is type, genre, and form. And we talked about that a lot last week as well, um, that the type of literature, all, all written text is a type of literature. It could be a pamphlet. It could be um, a novel. It could be a flyer. All of those things are types of literature. So what is the Bible's type, narrative, poetry, or discourse? Um, and then the genre with which it's written, it could be apocalyptic, prophetic, um, narrative, story, so on and so forth, and uh, that Jonah falls into the categories of it is a narrative and it is a prophetic narrative. And that just gives us further context. And these are, you guys are bearing with me really well because we've done two hours so far and we haven't even really jumped into the text. Um, because when we're, when we're approaching a text, these are just questions to ask before. We've taken two hours. If you guys are doing your own Bible study within a meal group, within a small group, with just you and your family or whatever it might be, these are just questions that hopefully you can answer fairly quickly. Looking them up um, in a preface for the chapter in your study Bibles, looking it up on the internet really quick, when and where, why was Jonah written, like Wikipedia will tell you all the answers that I'm teaching you today. It's amazing. Like, it really is. I wikipedia Jonah last week and I was like, wow, and who knew? And there's like 10 different interpretations for what Jonah is. And wow, look at all these details and stuff. So, so you can do these fairly quick, but we're just, we're, we're holding on to the whys when, before we actually get into the text. So um, today we're going to jump into order and structure. So the order of the book, the order of plot points, uh, the structure of how it's put together. And, and really that's wrapped up in the idea of plot, which I love. Um, plot is basically what is going on. How is this plotted out within a story. And next week, we're going to wrap everything up with looking at the, the meanings, the parallels, motifs. Really, that's wrapped up in what are the themes. So not just what is 
what is it saying and getting a clear idea of what, how it's plotted out, the story arc. But what then does that mean? And so we'll jump into what it says today, break it all down like MC Hammer, and next week we'll jump into, okay, so, so now that we have an idea of who's writing, when they're writing, why they're writing, how they're writing, and what is actually being written, we'll ask that question, so why? What is the theme? What has been come, coming through? Um, and so if you want to put them in layman's terms, it's kind of what we're reading, we've been looking at, what it's saying is what we're looking at today, and then what it's meaning uh, is what we'll be looking at next week. So as we jump in, um, there are four things that a narrative have generally. We've mentioned some of them already. There could be five depending, but what, if you're looking at just a kind of like the nebulous, what does a narrative have? What makes up a classic narrative story? Um, what, are, what are some of the things? Um, and I'll give you a hint. One of them is themes. A classic narrative will have a theme within it. Um, I might be hooking, you know, baiting the line enough here, but narratives. What, what consists, what elements make up a narrative? Class question, ready to go. Characters. Is there, did I already write that down or did you just guess that? Well done, Brooks. Oh, you're so good at this game. Characters. Any narrative is going to have a character or most likely multiple characters. Um, I mean, you could have like a singular sort of character where it's, I don't know, Castaway with Tom Hanks, where the predominant character in the movie is just him. But there's also secondary characters. Um, I mean, if you look at that movie, really, the, the second, like, the, <laughs> there's a best supporting actor, it would be Wilson, because he's really the next one who he interacts with in the movie. But then there's his wife, who becomes kind of his ex-wife, because they thought he died. So there's characters within any movie. Great. So characters, themes. Plotline. Exactly. So, I like that. Plotline. What is actually happening? If we, the, the phrase and the word are the same. Like, if we plot it out, what are the actual events? So, if we're thinking characters, it's who's in it, and plotline is kind of what are they doing in it. Um, any other things that make up a narrative? The dialogue? Yeah, so the dialogue is going to, uh, yeah. It's, it falls a little bit in the plot because the dialogue has to be part of the plot and it proceeds from the characters. Um, but yes, that's obviously a part of any, yeah, that'd be weird to have a narrative with no dialogue. I mean, it could be a monologue the whole time, but <laughs> you could just be telling a story, yeah. It's not, yeah, it's pretty short. That's, that sounds great. <laughs> so that, that would be the narrative without dialogue right there. It's four and a half minutes of complete silence. That's right. What else does a narrative have? Setting. Setting. Well done. So a narrative has settings. So it's not just who's in it, but where are they, and then what happens. Um, Plot, character, setting, themes. Yeah, perfect. So you nailed all the ones that I came up with. If I had a fifth question mark, it could be tone, but that, that kind of falls on the rest of it. It's how it's constructed. But the classic narrative is going to have a plot, characters, setting, and themes. Um, and Jonah is no different. The Bible is no different. Though it is a holy book that we hold as so good, it's also it's a book. It's, it's a story. It's a narrative. And therefore, it's going to contain all of these uh, different elements. So... Um, okay, this is where we're going to get, get busy, busy, busy. So switch modes from listening into we're going to engage in the text. Um, I said it, but a couple of you guys relate. There, there, up at the back in the corner, there are pens, and there is this print-off. It's the entire book of Jonah on one double-sided sheet. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to plot out kind of all the things that we just talked about and figure out the plot, the characters, the setting, um, and then next week we'll transition all of that into fi- seeing what are the themes in this book. So um, what I want you guys to do is break up into groups. It's going to be a lot of me silence right now, and you just kind of looking at your Bibles and working, because hopefully what we're talking about here isn't just me telling you about something, but it's kind of giving you a few tools and a few questions that you could do this at your house to any book of the Bible. Um, Bible study methods is kind of what we're getting into. So the first thing I want you to do, because I, I labeled it number one up there, um, is the plot. So if you could go through the text, and you can write in your Bible, that's fine, but it'll be permanent if you write it in ink. And we put in chapter marks. Does anyone know roughly when we started making chapters in our Bibles? 
Well done. Sometime around the 1500s, Gutenberg Press. When that came out, it became very easy to mass print, and therefore we needed reference for where we were talking about. So if we were in here, it's turned to John 16. And the entire purpose of that is to say, well, where is John 16? And it's giving us a reference. That's why we put them in. Um, they're not divinely inspired, and sometimes they're a little off. Sometimes it's a thought that's continuing, and then it breaks a chapter, and unfortunately in our minds, it, it can break the thought when it's really not doing that. So look at the plot. You're going to break up into groups. You're going to have at least five minutes to do this, if not more. And look at where the natural, um, where the natural breaks are in the story, where they move, uh, if we're talking from one character to another, from one setting to another, um, and look at where, where is just the natural story plot, the story arc going in Jonah. Uh, and if you need a hint, it's pretty close to the chapters already, but we can argue a couple of the verses, whether it should be earlier or later. So um, take a few minutes with that and talk amongst yourselves and, and just do the work of what is the actual narrative flow, um, where are the actual breaks in the text. Make sure you know the person you're sitting next to, like their name. I'm going to interrupt you guys just for a second and ask this question. How's it going? Are you, are you seeing this? Are you seeing that there is character, plot, flow of action and all that? Um, just real quick, you take a pause. We're going to keep going. We're, there's like a part two to what we're doing right now. Where are you guys seeing the section breaks thus far? Anybody shout out. Where does, where does like, if we have an introduction of the word came to Jonah, where does that kind of thought flow change, you know, scene or next chapter or whatever we would put it as? But the Lord, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and it, it totally is. I mean, that's like, you can get, really nitty-gritty with some of the chapters and say that in Jonah there's seven chapters um, because you keep seeing like, oh, well, they're changing the direction. It's a really short story, but there's tons of change that happens and you looking at that and going, he was told this, which uh, if, I don't know if you guys, um, the, the idea of irony, <laughs> I just love it. It's so great. And if you ever look at biblical texts, like, you know, we're talking about genre, type genre and form, so it's it's a narrative, and it's prophetic. The next step would get into the nitty-gritty is, like, what is each sentence happening? And in Jonah, there is the greatest concentration of biblical irony ever. So things like Jonah is the prophet, and the prophet does the will of the Lord. He hears him. He does it. He says it. And in this book, it's God says this, but. And, jo like, there's this ironic, like, wait, that's, that's not what you're supposed to do. Isn't it ironic? Don't you think? Um, yeah, so that could be very much one of those. This is an introduction, so you, you get this idea. You should feel this weight already saying, well, Jonah, Jonah's the prophet. The word is coming to him, and all of a sudden I'm jerked by this, but he did the opposite. Okay, so that's like what, between verse 2 and 3 in chapter 1? As far as uh, between 4 and 5 in chapter 1. Yeah, what else? Any other? What's the next? If that's one, and there's not really a right or wrong answer. It's just how do you see the flow? Him running away. So is that that same jerk? Jerk. Um, jerk of action. Not jerk. Not, not that. Um, yeah, because him running away, it's like that intro, and then the word comes, and he instantly just runs the other way. So still the intro. If we're looking at the next section, uh, and started it at verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, um, where, where does that section, where would that end?
Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, between 16 and 17. Did anybody else break it there instead of between the chapters? And it's, it's exactly what Joanna's saying. It's because of the conflict. It, it changes. That kind of part of the story where he's on the ship and uh, there's the great sea, they finally throw him in. That kind of part, you know, if you're thinking chapters or if you're thinking scenes, scene two, it's a wrap. And it leads into scene three. But realistically, it does. I, I marked right there as well. Because like, that's one kind of package scene. So that's just a good example of do the chapters always nail it? No. So can we back off the chapter breaks a little bit in our English Bibles and say, like, where does the story actually differ? Um, so if that's one, they're on the ship, that conflict is all wrapped up, what is the next, um, the next section from where to where? Chapter 1, verse 17 through... This one's easy. You guys got this one, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he gets thrown over, and that's the wrap-up. And then okay, he gets eaten, he's in the fish, he gets spit out. It's a wrap. Call that scene three. Like, perfect. Um, so that would end exactly where they put the chapter, ending between chapter 2, verse 10, and chapter 3, verse 1. Um, and then you get this whole new, like, it's almost God saying, like, okay, let's try this again, Jonah. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Um, if that's the beginning of that section, where does that section end? Where's this next scene in the plot taking place? And where does it stop? I don't know if you guys got this far yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. I, yeah, um, do you break by response, do you break by scene? In, in this case, if we're looking at the story arc of a narrative in general, if it has plot and setting and characters, um, the setting and characters a lot of times are going to be a really good clue as far as where is the narrative flow in this, where should it break, where does it change. Um, and, and along with all of these, this section, if you look at it and think, okay, maybe not where is he physically, so the setting, but who are the characters, that could maybe help you break it up too and saying like, okay, this is the Ninevites. So again, it's him, and we're wrapping it all up in the Ninevites. So where, if, even within that, you're saying seven or ten? Is that what I'm, is that what you're saying, Adam? You, you can keep splitting it, yep, cool. Anyone else? Any other points of... This is kind of wrapping up a complete thought. Chapter 4 between verse 4 and 5. Tell me why. Right, yeah, because it... it <laughs> yeah. And Jonah and God, right. And it's... it's so, yeah, if, again... If we're thinking setting and characters, a lot of times we're going to switch what scene it is that we're looking at. Um, I, I marked a question after the, the clean break between the chapters. Um, when God saw how he did it, he turned from the evil. He relented the disaster, said he would do them, and he did not do it. And then they put the chapter break in there. So our English translations, that's where it is. Because it kind of wraps up the Ninevites, and then it goes, okay, so the rest of this is Jonah. But what is being argued by my dear friend Daniel here, is that, well, yes, but he's still inside the city, and the chapter break should really be between verse 4 and verse 5, when he says, Lord, I knew you'd do this. I'm really ticked. And then he leaves, and it's kind of like, oh, next scene, he's leaving the city. So um, is there a right or wrong? It's just kind of how it makes sense. Um, my question mark was where they, the, the English translations put the chapter break. My hard line was there, because the, the setting changes. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah.
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. That's so fun. Yeah, so the, the comment is, basically, if you're playing with it, especially when you're looking at the Ninevites, uh, chapter 3 here, and there's this switch between, is it just a domino effect where Jonah said something on that first day, and then the people just kept on playing the telephone game, and eventually it made its way onto the king, and you just kind of see that progression? Or is it two totally different things where the people heard it, and then completely removed from the people, there's a king, and he also heard it and turned? So... Within a narrative, you can definitely play with it. And, you know, if anybody makes a movie twice, it's kind of like, well, this is how that guy interpreted the book, and that's how the movie is going to be made. Um, I'm trying to think of how many books out there have been made multiple times into a movie. My favorite is Count of Monte Cristo, where there's at least three versions that I've seen. There's, like a, there's a French version with subtitles, which is really nice. It's like six hours long. There's an old 30s version that's black and white in English, and that one is hardcore like to the book kind of like they try to plot the points out of this 1100 page book and then there's uh jim caviezel in you know the early 2000s or whatever um and each one's a little bit different take depending on how do they want to emphasize what part of the book because a movie script is going to be less than 200 pages probably and the book is 1100 pages so you can't include all of it so who do i want to emphasize how do i want this to look how do i want um, characters to be emphasized and turned. Like, if you look at... Have you guys ever seen The Count of Monte Cristo? Best movie ever. My favorite movie by far. Have you seen the new one? With Jim Caviezel and Guy Pierce, And the entire plot is, like, wrapped up cleanly and it makes you happy when you finish the movie. I love that. Read the book or watch one of the other movies because you're so frustrated because there's characters with, like, that are just left hanging in Mercedes. He just kind of walks away from her. And there's all these things with the plot. And it's basically... Based on that text, where do we want to put emphasis? Where do we want to do these things? And so within our plot breaks, we're, I mean, we're only given one text, and we're not going to play with it unless you're, no. I was going to say unless you're Eugene Peterson. But even that, he's sticking to trying to, what is the author saying originally? Um, so yeah, it, if you're looking at this as, this is a narrative, so there's plot, and it's got characters and, and settings, and how are we emphasizing which ones? That will help us figure out where are we breaking the chapters up. Um, and this, I would just, just to wrap this up as we keep going, I would generally say the setting is the same um, from when he gets the word the second and goes into, like that's kind of one movement into the city, and then he ends up really ticked off, and that's kind of how he wraps it up. And then next scene is the final of the book when he goes outside of the city, um, which is so funny, because he, he's like, I knew you would relent, and then he goes outside to look at it and see if it actually like, gets destroyed, and it's like, didn't you just say that it wasn't going to happen that way? Um, yeah, you still, I still hope that you're going to kill these 140,000 plus mini cattle, or 120,000, 120,000 plus mini cattle, whatever they are. Um, great, so you guys are, you're nailing it. The next question that we're going to ask um, is basically what each part is. And if you're following along on the little sheet that I gave you, there's the break of, depending on chapter breaks, and maybe you filled in that right there, I also want to challenge us right now, and this is going to be hard. I know it. Can you summarize each of those sections in one sentence? This is generally what's going on. This is going to be tough because there's so many things that happen, and it, it's forcing us to not speak to the details, but basically speak to where's the narrative flow going. Is Ask the questions of who are the characters. Ask the questions of what is the setting. Ask, ask all of those questions. Um, we're still breaking down narrative. Okay, great. Repeated words. Okay, we're going to do that next. It's going to be next. So take the sections that we either just talked through or that you already had set apart and see, we're going to take another five minutes or so, see if you can give one sentence description to each of those sections. Any questions? We're going to do the sections first and then we'll see if the sections can lead us into the whole picture. Yeah, it's a good question. So yeah, take five minutes or so, go section by section, see... Can I summarize what this is saying or what this is about or anything like that?
All right, guys, you're doing great. I'm sorry to interrupt, but for the sake of time, we're going to make sure we wrap this lesson up, and we have about 15 minutes. Um, if you didn't get all the way through, that's okay. Um, what, are, what are you guys at this point, what are you seeing as far as um, each, each chapter break, the summary of those things? Can anybody say, first one, if you want to do an introduction, Lindsay, did you stick with the introduction as its own thing? Or do you, okay, so what is the summary of the introduction? Ooh, that's a good one. Nice, precise. Threw a conjunction in there. Bam, I love it. Where the Lord came, but Jonah fleed. Okay. Um, and generally, this, we did this in school again and again. I, you know, the good Apostle Paul says, I know nothing that has not been taught to me that I pass on to you now. It is the same for anybody. We all know something because somebody taught it to us and we paid enough attention to learn it. So we would do this and we'd come with like our chapter breaks and we'd have to end up like making it all into a, a chart. So we'd basically diagram and map it all out in a chart with its sections and subsections and stuff. And it was... If you understand what you're looking at, it's, it ended up being really cool. But all of us, we'd be all these wonderful undergrads and be like, this, this is it, isn't this great? And it's like, why do all of us disagree with how we, how we put that? And then, you, you know, right before you turn it in, like, oh, I really like how you said that. Let me correct that print. Okay, let's go to class now. Um, so, yeah, so word of the Lord came to Jonah, but Jonah fled. Um, anything else? Next section is Jonah going to tar, uh, Joppa, Ship, Tarshish. Summary of that section. Storm arises. Anyone? It's okay. Did you guys get there? Did you stick on the intro? You put them together? Okay, so what's your general... Jonah is punished for disobeying God. I like it. What is his punishment? He got totally eaten by a whale. My favorite part... Okay. We're not, yeah, however you interpret the Hebrew in that, right? Is it a giant fish or is it a whale? And one of the questions asked in that whole thing, too, is, like, it, we're going to start seeing this a little bit more next week when we look at themes and parallels and motifs and foreshadowing and stuff. Um, but how funny is it that Jonah was on a ship and a sudden storm arose and he was asleep below deck and they had to wake him up? Sound familiar? Okay, great. That's a great summary of that section. <laughs> uh, next section, which is um, in the fish. Hmm? Someone say a letter. God deals with Jonah. God does deal with Jonah. Isn't that great? I'm going to throw this little poke of a question in there right now. You don't have to respond. Does Jonah repent? <laughs> Isn't he does? So he's repentant because he's saying, I'm going to do what you, told, what, what, I, what you told me to do, what I told you I would do. <laughs> that is a great question. How do you refine repentance? Rep- <laughs> How do you define repentance? How do you refine the repentance? Yeah, right. Yeah, that's... <laughs> do it happy or do it right? It didn't mean we were like, yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm. You guys, you're, 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 you're tracking with the exact narrative that, that we're being led into here. I think it's hard to Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So it's right. So we're so where's the tension in that? As we continue to look at Jonah and keep thinking about this, between not just the action of repentance, but the motive of that action. Like, where does that come from? 
Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he gets, I mean, okay, so that leads us into the next section. He's in the fish. What was the summary of that? I, I forgot now in the midst of all his conversations. God deals with, <laughs> we're doing good today. God deals with Jonah. Okay, perfect. Uh, the next section, he gets spit up. He's, he gets spit up, the word comes a second time, and he goes into Nineveh. Summary for that. Did you guys get there? We're heading towards the end of the book here. Hmm? There's, there's no really right or wrongs in here. Like. God's going to get his way whether we like it or not. If that's not a life lesson right there, I don't know what it is. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, you could define it. Did you have something on the tip of your tongue? The Lord reminds Jonah obeys, people repent. Like, I appreciate this because th- there's very little that Jonah actually does. It's a three-day journey. He spews it out on day one. You know what his message is? Like, look at your text. What does Jonah actually say? Not a whole lot. Forty days. God's going to kick your butts. If that's, if that's not the best, like, like, preaching message ever. Like, he doesn't even tell him what to do. He just says, 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. Your sin has come before the Lord. Like, all right. I did it, Lord. See ya. <laughs> um, okay, so Jonah obeys. The Lord repents. Um, last section, or depending where you broke it, the last two sections. Jonah's disappointment and cattle. <laughs> Don't leave out the plant, dude. <laughs> he can... <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Under 20,000 people and a bunch of cows. I care. I care. I'm a carer. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you guys were to write all these down, I don't know if you wrote them all down as you were tracking, but you could literally take a book, break it up into the chapters, and then break the chapters into a summary, and you can start having this zoomed out. This is the plot. So not the themes, not what is the message saying, what are they trying to say, but just this is what's happening. What's, what's going on in the book? This is it. And Jonah's a great short one. It's very clear because they break scene and they break character like clumps really, really easily. Um, the next question on your little sheet, uh, there's, there's three more. Repeated words, the characters, and the settings. Um, we've, we've talked about these already, and let's just discuss them as a whole. First, let's start with characters, because this is, this is all plot. So it's all of those scenes happened. You guys have already looked at it, which is why I'm asking these at the end, because it should be pretty fresh in your mind. If we're looking at the characters of Jonah as we're thinking about what a narrative has and what the plot is, who are the characters within this plot? Who's the first one we're introduced to? <laughs> there it is. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So, God and Jonah. Um, generally, that's a pretty good... Yeah, yeah. So the first two characters, I'm going to say, like, in this case, we're introduced to the main characters in the very beginning. God being a character, Jonah being a character. The Ninevites are a character, and you could separate it to say there are the Ninevite people and the king, or you could just say there's the Ninevites, but they generally fulfill a character role in the book. Uh, who else is a character or, or, like, a group of characters? The sailors! Okay, so I want you guys to be writing this down if you haven't yet. You have God, you have Jonah... You have the Ninevites, and you have the sailors. The sailors come before the Ninevites, but whatevs. Are there any other characters in the book? God has two characters? You're going to have to explain. It's great. Um, I'm... Let me point that out again, if you guys don't know it, because it's a great point. Uh, if in your English Bibles, just like if you see the texts being indented in the middle, it's poetry instead of narrative. If you see L-O-R-D, all uppercase, so the uppercase L, and then still smaller, but capital letters, O-R-D, uh, it's Yahweh. So they're, they're translating it for us, because it's not actually Lord, it's Yahweh, who is I am. Um, but we don't have that word, and we probably... We could say Yahweh in our texts, but just keep that in mind. So 
Anyway, great point, Adam. God, okay. And why do you think that is? So if, if God has two characters, if there is Yahweh God and then kind of God God, why would there be a difference between those? Mm-hmm. Right. So is there, let me push back just a little bit. Is it a different character or is it a different relationship to the same character? Right. Totally. Right, yeah. When God presents himself, that's a really great observation. When God presents himself, the name is always very specific. The entire Bible, front to back, names, are, they carry huge meaning. Um, and with his people saying Yahweh, it's this very personal, relational, it's this covenant God that was established, um, was made known to Moses. The people were then a nation instead of the patriarchs and stuff. So um, it's a huge emphasis that Ninevites, who aren't the people of Israel, are understanding him as God in a non-relational sort of term, um, whereas the people of God know him as Yahweh. So it's a great observation. Again, I think we got, got to two relationships, but one character still. Any other characters? Right. So you can go into that just like you have the Ninevites and the king, you have the sailors and the captain, um, and you can break them up either way you'd want. Um, there, it does specifically list a captain, um, yeah, I'm going to ask some questions either in a minute or next week. That'll. Hmm? It goes back to authority, right. Like, oh, the people have a leader, um, and in both of them it's really important to see what the leader's actions are because it's not just the people. It's the leader inclusive. And to me, that's kind of why he breaks it up because he's not just saying, like, all of them generally. It's like, um, yeah, everybody in America repented, but the White House and Congress, like, they didn't. They're the leaders, and so... It's emphasizing like a holistic of the people. The whale could be a character, except it's it's almost like a prop because it does he doesn't do, like he doesn't do anything. I, I would argue if anybody's about to say the plant at the end as well, like there's no lines, there's no dialogue. It's it's almost like a prop to make the story continue forward. A points a whale. <laughs> They do. They do action. They they eat and spew and they grow and die. Yeah. It's it's it's, it's a human. It's a human narrative right there. Right. That's <laughs> the cattle. They ruminate. I don't know what that word means. Oh, <laughs> they use their four stomachs and. Yeah, and especially in Old Testament, like, the, the emphasis of creation and the care for creation is always present. Um, what do you mean? Do you want to? He is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I think some of the emphasis with today is, is asking, like, he, he can, and it's being presented that he did, so now it's asking why and seeing, like, what are you saying through what you're doing? Like, you're completely sovereign over the cattle and over the fish and over the, the plant. So why is all of this happening? Like, what am I getting from it? So, um, so those are the characters. What are the settings? I'm just going to run through them because it's about 1030. Oh, my gosh. We're going to get to that in just, like, 20 seconds. <laughs> characters of the sea. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Settings real quick, you have where he, wherever he's called from, where he's called to, which is Nineveh, which I just want you to thank Nineveh to the east. Where he runs to is down um, to get to on the ship to go west, which the Bering Strait right there in Spain and Morocco, that's, um, that's where they considered um, uh, Tarshish to be. Tarshish just means like metal smelting area or something like that. So, um, so those are all the places. And then in the sea, which either is a setting or a character. I like what you're going with there. And then uh, you could say Nineveh is one of them, and then outside of the city is another. So the settings just give you an idea of where he's at. Um, I'm going to wrap it up with 
the thing that I skipped over if you're looking at your thing, seeing repeated words in the book of, in any book. Um, who here loves watching the State of the Union address? This is my example every single time. Good, no hands. That's what I like. Me neither. <laughs> the C? The C likes it? What? Oh, okay. I'm, I'm going to get to that, I think. The word? The re- that's repeated? Dude, you're taking, you're, you, you want to come teach? You want to lunch here? Right, so repeated words, they generally give you an idea of what the emphasis is, what they're trying to say. And sometimes it might not be the main character or the main plot point, but it is an undertow emphasis, undertow, that happens within a book. Um, you guys could take lots and lots of time of individually going through and figuring out what word happens the most, or you can go online and copy and paste the text into a word counter website. Uh, if you type in word counter into Google, it will come up. Copy, paste, it will show you the repeated words in any given text that you paste into it. Um, you can do that with the entire book. You can do that with a chapter. So in each of those chapters, you're going to get an idea of what is the main thing that's happening here. Um, one of the things that's interesting to me as we're looking into, we've plotted it out. We've plotted out who the characters are, where they are, what the story plot is. Now we're looking into, okay, what is some of the meaning? And some of that is going to come through the emphasis in repeated words. So these are the repeated words, if you copy and paste, in the entire book of Jonah. Lord, 26 times. Jonah, 18 times. God, 16 times. Sea, 12 times. So great points about the sea there. And then you get to Nineveh, city, great, evil, exceedingly life, and angry. Um, if you did not know anything about the book of Jonah, if we didn't ha- just plot out what actually kind of happened and where the breaks were, could this give you kind of a summary of what's going on maybe a little bit? What is the book of Jonah about? It's probably about God and Lord, depending how we're using those phrases, which is a great understanding of them. It's probably about Jonah. And for some reason, the C is extremely emphasized in what's going on. Um, Hebrew literature the Old Testament in general, the sea actually, more or less, is a character. Um, not an interactive, dialogical character, but just a character in and of itself. Um, any guesses or knowledge previously learned on what the sea represents to the Israelites um, throughout their kind of history and understanding and as they're writing? Did you hear that from Glenn? Uh, yeah, he, write, he reads into you write a lot, too. Yeah, the sea, according to those characters, always represents evil. That evil rises from the sea. Um, I'm going to make a different argument based on this. Historically, we see the evil coming, like ships coming and invading and stuff like that. Literarily, within the scriptures that we have, I don't know if there's ever an enemy force that comes from the sea to attack Israel. I just don't see that it's there within the scripture text that we have, the canon that's been put together. Um, what, I guess maybe this question, what, is evil, what does evil create? Or what can evil create? Um, chaos. Oh, that's my buzzword for what the sea represents in scripture. It represents chaos. In the beginning, God created. He created the heavens and the earth, and his presence hovered over the unformed, formless, and void presence of the sea. And it's just, there's no, there's no solid footing on it. And then from chaos and creation, if you look at that story, he creates order. So he separates the sea from the land. Because land is this firm, solid thing, and sea is this unknown, uncontrollable, chaotic thing. You see this if you, let's skip to the New Testament, because there's some great examples in there. If you look at Revelation, in that day... No more tears, like that. No more pain, like that. No more sea. Man, I was really hoping for a seaside mansion in heaven. What is going on? It's a, liter- it's, it's, a, it's a type. It's referring to this kind of idea of chaos. The Lord has put all things in order. There is no sea. He's speaking to this Hebrew audience saying, like, you know the chaos that you've experienced before? It's not there anymore. Um, back it up into the Gospels, we see the sea. Again, we're talking ship, Jesus, sleeping. Disciples twice over. We get into a little, uh, little bit of a tuffle on the open seas. And it's this, okay, there's some chaotic mess that's going on. And what is the, I mean, if you guys were just thinking of Jesus, sea is crazy. He's either walking on it or he speaks to it. And what is the disciples' response and what is kind of like the message that Jesus is presenting himself as in those instances of the Gospels? Egypt, he parts the sea. He has rule over it. 
and he passes through. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, it's there through and through. In that case, like the sea is kind of this um, danger and this entrapment that he splits the way of it. Totally. What, can you, off the top of your head, can you think of the sea is dangerous and God has power over it. What Jesus' response is, or what the disciples' response is when Jesus has silenced the storm? They shouldn't fear. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Are you saying the quote? What is the quote? That surely this is the Son of God. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Surely this is the Son of God. And it's always presented as this kind of anti-type, chaotic, evil sort of character within the scriptures. Yes. Totally. He didn't vomit him back in the sea. Right. So the sea comes up. It rises in the book of Jonah. It's chaotic. The result of it is God's prophet being thrown into the chaos. In that midst of that chaos, he says, okay, I'm going to do what I said. And then the result of him saying, like, okay, in action at least, I'm going to obey, spews him up onto dry ground, dry land. Like, okay, we're back on track here. The chaos is back. The storm is calmed. And in the midst of that, too, some people repent, which is really great. Right, right. Yeah. The, the, the calm sea is like this, great. Like there's a glassy sea around the throne of God. Like, oh, that's nice. A little sunsets and palm trees, nice beach. But then the chaotic sea, the water is breaking, the levee bursting, the hurricane coming, the flood, the, the tsunami, the typhoon, whatever it is, is always this force of chaos that either the scripture writers recognize, and so they write it in, or they have created that dynamic and therefore we recognize it otherwise. I, you could argue it both ways. Rahab? Okay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. There's, yeah, super, yeah, yeah. The, superstition, Hebrew superstitions wrapped around the sea. Okay, one more point, and then I'm going to wrap it up, and we'll we'll head out. <laughs> That's a result of the fall. I can't. I can't deal with it. I'm just saying. Yeah, the land in California totally not staff. San Andreas. Good on you. Um, I'm just saying, like, narratively, if we're thinking of themes, um, characters, types, the sea is always represented as this chaotic, um, unsure, fearful thing, whereas ground is always... I mean, in Israel, I don't know if there are actual earthquakes there. There, there might be. Um, but it's in, in their narrative, it's always represented as, like, a firm, peaceful sort of setting that we can set our feet on. Mhm. Mhm. <laughs> yeah. You're totally yeah, you're totally leading into exactly what we're going to wrap up next week with is even though you see the storm, the sailors their response is to call out to their god whom they don't know until and if you if you were to cut the book in half, if I know we just plotted out maybe 5 to 7 like sections of it, if you were to cut it in half, it would be Jonah's First call and the response, and Jonah's second call and the response. Okay, before the fish, after the fish, before the fish, the entire emphasis, every single word of the sea being twelve times over, is this completely chaotic thing. Like the God calls him, and he goes down, and he goes into, and he goes under, and he sleeps, and he comes up, and he gets thrown out, and he goes into the belly of the fish. And there's all these chaotic, the language that is being used, the um, just the way that it's being represented is it's fairly dizzying. Like, I kind of read it that way at the end of last week. It's this, oh my gosh, this chaos. But in the midst of that, we see three characters in that first half. Jonah, God, the, uh, the sailors. Jonah, God, sailors. So split it up. If we look at the second half, it's Jonah, God, Ninevites. First half, Jonah, God, sailors. The sailors' response 
in the midst of the sea, in the midst of the storm, calling out their gods. They don't know. They figure out Jonah's got a god. We'll call to him. And at the end of it, they fear and they repent. And God relents. And then we go from the sea to this, okay, you're kind of on firm ground again, Jonah. I'm going to put you on land again. Let's see how this plays out. Round two, ready, fight. And so it's looking at all of these dynamics of narrative that are going to give us this story that's much more vivid and meaningful um, within its themes than just a, a normal plot that we might read otherwise. And it's when we're seeing this, especially next week, we're going to look at the characters continually, the Ninevites, the sailors, the kings, the captains, and what is their response. And I'm going to leave us with this. as a little bit of a taster. You guys can think upon it. If you think of all of the characters, besides God, he's God, the rest of them, where do their hearts start? And what are their attitudes, where are their hearts at the end of the book? And it's seeing these juxtapositions of characters, plot, setting, looking at it as a narrative, that we start going, Jonah is about so much more than a guy getting eaten by a fish. There is a whole story here that we need to see. And maybe when we see that whole story and understand it, when we get to Jesus' words, when he says, none will be given to you except the sign of Jonah, and then kind of explains out what the sign of Jonah is, we can start going, that's what you're saying, Jesus. Because he understood it. At least tradition would hold. He's Jesus and sovereign. He totally understood it. So we'll jump into, so this week was plot. We kind of plotted it out, make the plot points, characters, um, settings, um, actions, all that stuff. Next week, we'll jump into the final wrapping it up all of themes. We'll also look at um, kind of two ways of, of seeing the Bible, whether it's systematic. You guys ever heard of systematic theology? You take the pieces and they all have equal weight versus uh, something that's called um, biblical theology is kind of the term for it, where you see the Bible not as equal parts, but you see it as story arc. And so when Jesus is understanding the sign of Jonah, he's kind of continuing and showing them something more. And if, if Jonah is not referred to again, but there would be more after that. And it's this story that is unfolding, and it's this beautiful narrative that's happening there. So we're going to look at all of that next week as we wrap up Jonah. Bless you guys. Bless you guys. Thank you. Lord be praised. Amen. Shalom. Take luck. Boom.